you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5. I'm going to give you one of the most important keys of the Christian faith that I can give you. And that is to look to Christ. Look to Christ. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Let's read Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to John. John chapter 3 and verse 14. John chapter 3 and verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Interesting, isn't it? One of the most famous verses in the Bible is for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. I mean, you still see it, don't you? Especially in America, basketball matches and big, and big NFL matches. There's always a Christian there who holds up 3.16 because that is the verse that can save you if you believe it. But isn't it interesting because, as I said, most times the verse is just plucked out, isn't it? And we know the verse, but I wonder how many of us tonight are watching on the internet would immediately go, ah, yes, John 3.16. That comes after John 14, talking about the serpent in the wilderness. So one of the greatest evangelistic verses of the Bible is actually set in the context of what we read in Numbers chapter 21. 
And that's one of the keys to understanding this first, not just to give your life to Jesus for the first time, but in order to deal with any of the fiery serpents that the enemy sends your way. And when you find yourself in trouble or in difficulty, this is the key. It's the first thing that you must do, look and live. And so Jesus, in verse 14, reminded those that he was preaching to about the story in Numbers, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I want us to unpackage this in the final part of tonight. So we know that the children of Israel had sinned against God and sinned against their leader Moses. They'd put themselves in a place where they were vulnerable for the attack of the enemy. The serpent always represents the devil, doesn't it, in the Bible? Right there in Genesis, we have the, that Eve was tempted by the serpent. And it was the serpent that tempted Eve and Adam, and they both ate of the fruit, and the whole of humankind fell into sin. We can go to the end of the book in Revelation. And there also in the book of Revelation, the devil is identified in prophetic literature as the serpent. And so it's interesting in Numbers that it's the fiery serpents that were set loose against the people of God. And as they were sent loose, they were biting um, these people and they were dying. And this, these serpents, as they bit people, the poison was entering very quickly into their bloodstream and they were losing their life. Do you know The devil works by poison. Now that's a physical picture of physical serpents serpents poisoning people. What happens is the poison enters into the bloodstream very quickly. And that blood and the poison gets pumped around through the heart so that the the poison spreads very quickly into the body causing death. Well, the devil's not changed. He's just the same. And he seeks to poison our hearts. He seeks to get his poison in the hearts and lives of people, Christians and non-Christians, so that people become poisoned. What do they become poisoned by? The devil's lies. That's right. The devil's lies are poisonous. And we've just come out recently of a vision week, haven't we, Um, I hope many of you are able to come to some of the Vision Week. And the Vision Week that our senior minister brought us into was talking about pulling down strongholds. And if you're a cell leader and you were there that Wednesday night, Colin was talking, wasn't he, about praying for the lost. And during that time, we began to pull down strongholds of the mind in those people that we were trying to bring to Christ. Because the Bible makes it clear that devil has blinded the minds of the unbeliever so that they cannot see the glorious light of the gospel. It's true, human beings are responsible for their own unbelief, but the devil comes in and adds his blinding. And how does he blind people's minds? By his lies, by his poison that infects the heart of man. And what is the heart of a human being? We're not, I'm not talking now about physical poison and physical heart. 
I'm talking about the spiritual poison of the enemy, his lies. But the heart, what is the heart? When Jesus says the sower comes and sows the seed into the soil, and depending on the state of the soil, that seed will be received. The word of God is the seed. And if the soil is right, the seed will reproduce according to its seed. So the devil comes and he tries to place his poisonous seed in the soils of our hearts. Jesus said the soil is a man or a woman's heart. Jesus says, you know, food won't make you unclean. What comes out of a person's heart, that will make you unclean. Anger, murder, adultery, filthiness coming out of your heart. So we understand that the devil tries to blind us by poisoning our heart against God and God's word. Most people that are poisoned by the enemy in their heart, they don't even know it. They don't even realize it because the poisoning is a hardening poison. It is a poison that blinds your thinking. How many of you know the devil tries to do that with Christians? He tries to get his poison of bitterness, anger or unforgiveness in our hearts about someone. And you know, the moment that you allow bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, jealousy, these things room in your heart, what are you doing? You're giving a foothold to the devil. You're giving a landing strip for him to come. The moment we give over to these things, the poison is beginning to spread through our life system. And what that poison does, it's like any poison. You begin to lose your focus. When poison hits you in the physical realm, what happens is your mind starts to go bleary. You start to see, start to see um, illusions and visions and, and your mind goes and your senses go and you're thinking, what, what's going on? What's, what's happening to me? You don't even know it, but the poison is in your system, poisoning your mind. Most people, when their mind or heart is poisoned by the enemy, they don't even know they're poisoned. Oh, the devil's a liar. But we are not ignorant of his schemes, Paul says. And the beautiful thing is, is that there is an antidote to the poison of sin. There is an antidote to the poison of the enemy. There is an antidote to the poison of unbelief. It's the blood of Jesus. The greatest medicine the world has ever known. The blood of Jesus is the antidote to sin and the devil's poison. The devil gives poison and sin spreads its poison. You know, sin is a liar. You know, sometimes you hear these terrible stories in the newspaper of some child that, that goes and sees some sort of blue liquid under the sink. You know where I'm going, don't you? Ooh, that looks nice and takes a drink. And that poison that looked so nice to quench their thirst. They thought it was Kool-Aid. They thought it was juice. And that poison destroys them physically. Or you hear about people that drink something unwittingly, unknowing that that is not the drink that they think it is. Well, that's what sin does. Sin comes and says, have a glass of me. I'm bubbling refreshing. I'm just what you need. Have a glass, have a draft. And you take a drink. And if you're not careful, mm, tastes all right. So you take another drink. What does the Bible say about the pleasures of sin? 
but they're deceitful. And sin is poison, and it gets into your system. The wages of sin are death. Sin seeks to destroy. Sin seeks to grab hold of you and to dominate you and bring you into captivity. But thank God, thank God, uh, if you, there is a blood transfusion. There is a blood transfusion from Calvary. And when you get the blood of Jesus working in your heart, you get healed, delivered, made whole, made free. You, you move into strength and healing and power. And so they were in a state where they were being poisoned and they didn't know what to do when they came to Moses. And they said, Moses, help us. And he prayed to the Lord. And isn't it interesting, the Lord told Moses to make an image of the very thing that was destroying them. I think that's strange. You know, why would you make a serpent to deal with a serpent? Maybe they should have done like a Holy Spirit dove on a pole. That would be a lot more Christian, wouldn't it? A Holy Spirit dove. Or a little Alpha and Omega. Or write Shalom in bronze. Or something nice, something Christian. Something, you know, the Lord is your healer banner on a pole. And everybody looks at that. But no, he said, make an image of the very thing that is poisoning them, and lift it high up. I mean, imagine the scene. Hundreds and thousands are, 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 are dying, and, and, the, and the, the plague of serpents and its poison is spreading through the camp. And I mean, imagine how you feel. I mean, imagine these serpents. You'd be like this, wouldn't you? Although, oh. You'd be thinking, what's, you'd be looking everywhere, they're everywhere, and, and, and just round the corner, and suddenly something bites at your ankle. And you think, oh no, one got me. Their eyes were on the ground where the serpents were. Of course they were. They were looking to make sure. But Moses said, I want you to make a serpent, but I want you to lift it in the air. A bronze serpent. And whoever takes their eye off the serpents on the ground and has faith to look up and look. All they had to do was look. They didn't have to pray. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to touch it. All they had to do was get their eyes off the serpents on the ground and get their eyes on the serpent on the pole. And the Bible says, those that looked were healed. One look. I bet they built that pole as high as they could to get it as high as possible. So all those millions of, of people, the three million that were in the wilderness at that time, that everybody could just, I mean, lift it higher. I can imagine Moses saying, lift it high. No, lift it higher. It's not higher enough. We're talking about millions of people here. They can't see. Get up on that hill. Get this serpent higher. It's not high enough. Lift him higher. Lift him higher. I mean, we were singing, weren't we? Lift up Jesus higher. Why, do we, why would we sing? Lift him higher, higher. Why would we sing that? It comes from this. Lift that. Because if they can't see it, they won't be healed. The other thing about this serpent is that it was bronze. Now, all you Bible scholars know what bronze means, don't you, in the Bible. What does bronze mean? Okay, all you Bible scholars that left at the five o'clock teaching service. <laughs> bronze, in the Bible, bronze is often used as a symbol of judgment. Judgment. Very often, you'll find that bronze is a symbol of God's judgment. And so he said, make it not in gold. You'd have thought, oh, 
make a beautiful gold one or a silver one. It's, it's going to be precious. It says, no, make it of bronze because there is judgment involved. The people were being judged, weren't they, for their sin? But now, when they looked up to the bronze serpent, they would be healed from the judgment of God. As they looked at the judgment of God in bronze on that serpent. And it is funny, you know, the potency and powerful imagery of this serpent on a pole. You got any nurses here tonight? Yeah? Have you ever had a badge with a, with a pole with a little snake on? You've seen it. You know it. Those of you that know things about medicine, sometimes you see it in certain times of am ambulance, don't you? Have you ever noticed that? You see a pole and there's a little snake wrapped around it. I mean, if you didn't know your Bible, you'd go, what is that about? Come, get in the ambulance. I'm not going in there. It's got snakes in it. You've got a pole with a snake on it. What sort of, what sort of healing symbol is that? I mean, one of my favorite hospitals is Great Ormond Street. Or gosh, as they call themselves. Great Ormond Street Hospital. I love them. I love them. And, and, and I love their imagery. And of course, um, very strongly in Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children is um, Peter Pan. Because all the rights to Peter Pan... If ever Peter Pan is done in a film or any, all the rights, they don't go to the author who's long dead. All, all, all the rights and the royalties, sorry, they go to Great Ormond Street. And, but also, one of their symbols is a lovely teddy bear. A lovely teddy bear who's just a little bit poorly. It's like that children in need as well. They have a lovely teddy, just a little bit. Now, that's a nice picture of being healed. But a snake on a pole... Would you come to, come to my surgery? You won't miss it. There's a snake outside on a pole, you know. But we're used to that. We're used to that. We think about that. But we shouldn't lose its potency and power. Because when we come to John, Jesus says, look, just as what happened in Numbers, that has to happen today. As, the son of, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He's saying, just like they looked at the serpent on the pole, if someone looks at Jesus on the cross with faith, they shall be saved. Um, I'm a great student of Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the greatest preachers that Great Britain ever knew and that London ever knew. Uh, he was pastoring a church of six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people in the Victorian era. He would regularly have gospel crusades where twenty, twenty-five thousand people would gather. He would preach his sermon on Sundays, and they would be in the city, London city newspapers on Mondays. His sermon transcripts were taken to Victoria, Queen Victoria. I mean, the guy was moving in the spirit, and he got saved by a sermon. By a sermon on the serpent, on the pole. And it's a lovely story, he tells. It was a freezing, cold, wintry day, and the snow was absolutely piling down, and he was in the streets, not saved. He'd been brought up a Christian, but hadn't given his life to the Lord. And, and he saw a little chapel, and he saw that the windows were on, something was happening, and purely to get out of the snow, 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon went in to this little chapel and before he realized it, because if he'd known he wouldn't have gone, he was in a primitive Methodist chapel. Now, the primitive Methodists, if you thought the Methodists in their heyday were fire-breathing Christians, the primitive Methodists came back when they thought that the Methodists had backslid and, I mean, they were like the, they were like the crazy Pentecostals of their day. They were street preachers. They laid hands on anything. They cast out the devil. I mean, they were incredible. So he got into this thing and he thought, oh no. I mean, one of these crazy primitive Methodist meetings. And there was only about eight or nine people there. And they were all primitive Methodists. And being great soul winners, as soon as the preacher saw that there was a new one in tonight, he changed his sermon. Everybody looked and thought, come on, get him, get him. That's what they were on, you know. And so he began to preach. And Charles Spurgeon, one of the most educated preachers, he said, this man didn't, could hardly speak. He was obviously, you know, very much a, a poor workman, but he was preaching that night. There's probably only nine people there because he, he didn't know what to say. He said, but he just started saying, look and live, look and live. One look and you shall live. One look at the master and you shall live. See him on the cross, look and live. Look and live. And he began to turn <laughs> to Charles Spurgeon. And they were bold in those days. You know, there was no seeker-friendly churches amongst primitive Methodists. Young man, look and live. Look to Christ tonight. Look and live and you shall be saved. And he just kept repeating the same thing. Look at him on the tree. Look at him bleeding for you. Look at him giving his life for you. Look and live. Just one look and you will live. And there, that night, Charles Haddon Spurgeon got born again. And you know what? He never moved away from that sermon. Because although he was the prince of preachers, and although he would grace his sermons would, I mean, even today people are preaching his sermons. Preachers are taking his sermons, learning from them, and preaching his sermons. Some of my best sermons were Charles Spurgeon's. Oh, I don't know if I should have said that. So you go off and read his and, and say, oh, I know what, you come tell me what I preach next week. And although he was a great theologian, mighty in word and understanding, do you know what? He never left the simple truth that all you have to do to be saved is to look and you will live. And we need to lift up Jesus high because the devil, you can imagine what the devil, the devil doesn't want that pole high. The devil wants it low. The devil, you can imagine if the devil was around, I don't know if he was during that time when the serpents, he'd be saying, someone get that pole down. Send those serpents to the pole holder. Somehow, if we can release the hordes of hell and get that pole down, out of sight, where nobody can see, they're all perish. And that's what the devil wants to do today. And that's what he's trying to do, working through governments and different areas. They're trying to get the cross down, out of sight. More and more... People are saying, you can't share your faith here. You can't share your faith there. In other words, get the pole down, Christian. Get the pole. And if someone can't see the cross and Christ crucified, how can they get saved? Now, Jesus was on the cross. And 
is amazing, isn't it? Because we talk about a serpent to deal with the serpent. Well, in one way, Jesus became a serpent on the cross, didn't he? You say, what are you talking about? Well, he didn't become Satan. He didn't become demonized or anything like that. But the Bible says he was made sin. In other words, though he was always the spotless lamb of God, always the spotless lamb of God, on the cross, he took upon him the sins and sickness of the world. On the cross, he took upon himself the judgment of God against all humanity, the bronze serpent. And God, the father, his son was willing. God, the father, looked at his son on the cross. And he said, you know what I'm going to do, son? Well, he told him in the garden of Gethsemane. That's where, that's where Jesus really understood about the cup that he was to drink, the cup of God's wrath. That on the cross, God, God the father said, you know what's going to visit you, son? I'm going to visit upon you all my wrath against the sin of humanity. Every sin that's ever taken place is taking place or will take place. However heinous that sin, awful that sin, son, I'm going to place it on you, the Lamb of God, and then I'm going to judge you as a sinner, even though you are the Lamb of God, spotless. Not only that, son, not only am I going to put upon you the sins of the world... And judge you under those sins. And you will carry those sins. And I will strike you as if you had committed those sins. Because you're carrying the sin bearer. But I'm not just going to put the sins on you. I'm going to put all the sickness that's ever taken place on you on the cross. And you are going to suffer for the sins of the world. And you are going to carry the sicknesses of the world. Are you ready to bear that? No wonder Jesus sweat blood in Gethsemane. No wonder he said, Father, all right, but if there's any other way, God, Father, if there's any other way than me carrying the sins of the world and feeling your judgment for others' sins, if there's any other way than to have every sickness placed on me, and have to carry the sicknesses. If there's any other way, please let's do it. And then the father said, there's no other way, son. It's your choice. And Jesus said, well, then in that case, not my will, but yours be done. And on that cross, like a supernatural, spiritual magnet, as his arms are on that cross, lifted high, he began like a spiritual magnet, to draw out of the world all the power of sickness was drawn to him. All the power of sin was drawn to him. And sin and sickness, drawn like metal to a magnet, was drawn. Sin, past, present, future. It was all drawn to him and met the sin bearer and sickness carrier on the cross. And on the cross, he suffered the wrath of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you're carrying the sin sicknesses of the world. And he carried it on the cross. But thank God, just before he gave up his life, he said, it is finished. 
done, carried. And so now, when anybody looks with the eye of faith at Jesus on the cross, their sin is drawn to the magnet of the cross out of their lives. Their sickness, we believe, although, of course, no one is fully healed from sickness on this earth, because until Jesus returns, death still reigns. But we know that Jesus has conquered death because he's raised from the dead, so we shall be raised from the dead. But still, the cross is there for us to believe that sickness can be conquered and when Jesus heals sickness, he does it out of his mercy, but he does it as a sign saying, don't worry, death's going to be finished soon. Just one look at the cross. No wonder Paul said, I preach Christ crucified. In other words, I'm lifting up the pole. I'm lifting up the pole. I, I resolved, I could have preached on many things, Paul said to the Corinthians. But they were fleshly, backslidden. The Corinthians had been bitten by the sin, poison, and they were doing all manner of sinful, fleshly things. And Paul said, there's only one way to deal with this sin epidemic in the Corinthian church. And that's not with clever sounding wisdom. That's not with, with preaching that's going to get applause. The only way to deal with this poisonous sin epidemic in the Corinthian church is to do what Moses did and what Jesus did. I'm going to lift up the cross. You know, if you're having problems with your churches or your cell groups and, and, all, and it's all going wrong, lift up the cross. If you're finding that your life is going this way and that and you're falling back into the hands of the enemy, get before the cross. Gaze on him. Understand again. Even with the Galatians, they were going the opposite way to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were sin-ridden. But the Galatians, they were ridden with religion and legalism. And uh, Paul is saying, how could you turn away from the simple gospel to your own religious acts, thinking somehow you can be good enough to get into heaven, Galatians chapter 3, before whom Christ crucified was publicly portrayed. What did he do? He lifted up the cross. He lifted up the cross. You know, thank God for all the wisdom of the word. But in the end, you know what? Look to Jesus. With your problems. Yes, we pray for wisdom and prophecy and help for you. But you know, in the end, just get back to the cross. That's where God's medicine is. That's the medicine of God. The blood of Jesus shed for you to cleanse you from your sins, to deliver you from the power of Satan, to place you back in your, in your, in your right mind. When you look at the cross that God sent his only son, that whoever believes in him, here we are, John 3, 16, shall not perish, but shall be saved, healed, delivered. The poison of the lies of the enemy shall be extracted from their mind. And by looking at Jesus on the cross and knowing he's not on that cross anymore, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen, the cross worked. <laughs> the cross worked. Jesus is in heaven right now applying its victory. He lives evermore to intercede for you. 
Hallelujah. With nail-scarred hands before the Father, how can the Father receive the prayers of the one that carried the sins and sicknesses, defeated the devil in his power on the cross? It's all there on the cross. And you don't need a degree. And you don't need to have read the Bible from cover to cover. All you need to do is look. And then God's power and spirit begins to move. If we want to go forward, we've got to get back to the cross. Hallelujah. The cross. Cross Cross-centered, cross-preaching in the power of the resurrection. We preach the cross, but in the power of the resurrection. We focus on the cross, but in the knowledge of the resurrection. Hallelujah. And where the blood is, that's where the spirit will come in resurrection power. Every head bowed. Could there be someone here tonight? And this is the first time that you will say, my goodness, what have you been doing? I've just been lifting the cross high, that's all. And every time we witness to someone, every time we speak of Jesus, we're lifting up Jesus like the bronze serpent. And anybody but looks with faith will receive salvation. With every head bowed tonight, if you are, you say, you know, is that, is that all I have to do? Yes. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross, rose again and is your Lord, that's all you have to do to be saved. And that sin that he already carried, if you look on him tonight, that sin will leave you and spring back to where it belongs 2,000 years on that cross where it was dealt with, paid for, forever every head bowed is there anybody here and you say I'm ready I've looked tonight and I want to live I've looked I've heard what you've said I've seen for the first time what Jesus did for me like the children in the wilderness I'm looking up to you Lord I'm putting my trust in you Jesus I'm not going to trust in anything but you died for me that's good enough for me to believe I'll go to your Father's heaven and your heaven. I just trust you, Lord. I look to the cross. That's all I cling to. And if this is the first time that you're saying, I'm doing that tonight, I want you to lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. And you will receive forgiveness of sins. It's important that you make a public declaration. Jesus died publicly for you. The Bible says we need to make a public, with our mouth confess, a public declaration. And if you really believe, it's not much to lift your hand and say, I believe that much to lift my hand tonight, to be prayed for forgiveness of sins. Lift your hand right where you are now, downstairs, upstairs. If you're not sure about your salvation, lift your hand right now and you can walk out sure that you have been saved. He's just one Look away. Lift your hand if that's you here tonight. Upstairs. Downstairs. Lift your hand. If you're saying, tonight I want him. I want to be healed. I want to be saved. I want to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven. Okay. And for the rest of us as we close right now we'll close with a, a, a celebration song but just as we close in the stillness of your heart I'm asking you to get simple with God 
in all your learning and your growing. This is all you really need. Look and live. If something's dead in your life, if something's dead in your circumstances, if poison has got in anywhere of the enemy, if bitterness, if any of these things, any of these negative things have got into your life or your circumstances, I want you right now to say, do you know what? I'm just going to look to the cross, trust in Jesus, and let him heal, save, and bring deliverance in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.